0: right were you listening to that last song there's something about it that struck me today that i never really thought about maybe you have you're probably all way past me in these worlds but i hear the lyrics i know the song you know i've sung it for a long time now and so i don't you don't it doesn't affect you in the same way so i started thinking about the lyrics of the song and i thought about you know he calls you out of darkness and we all immediately apply that to being born again right to accepting christ and being ushered into that relationship with him but there's another layer to that and this new year is like a perfect time to talk about this. This is not in the script for today, trust me. And that's this. Every morning that you wake up, every single morning that you wake up, you are called out of the darkness into the light of this world through him. Every single morning you wake up. And you know what? One morning you won't wake up. And when that happens, guess where you're called to? Into the light. Yeah, that's exciting. Every, if you viewed every morning that way, every morning that you get another breath of life, you're called out of the darkness and into the light of his glory and his grace in this world, then men every day, no day will disappoint. And then one day he'll call you home, and that certainly won't disappoint, right? Just another twist on the lyrics of this song. So just, just for fun. It's 2022, people, right? 2020. That, that number, I said this two years ago with 2020, but is 2022 even more real? I don't think so. Like, I never thought that number existed in my head, like the sci-fi movies and things, but no, it's not real. But in this last month of life, have you heard anything, and I mean anything, positive about 2022 coming? Has anybody heard anything positive about this new year coming, other than it's a different date on the calendar? It's kind of different from last year, right? Because everybody was looking forward to 2020 ending. Oh, we can't wait to get to 2021. And 2021 stunk, <laughs> like in a whole new way, but it was, you know, we didn't even get the time at home that we got in 2020, and it was just like, wow. So at this point, is there even any, any point in commenting on the past? The answer is no, no. So here's what I pray. I pray a couple things. I pray that we don't discount the past. We can't do that. We're supposed to learn from it. And I pray that we can move on. From the past, those of us that might be still stuck in the rut of these last two years, that God can push us through that rut and into a new year, into a new walk with him. So here we are. God has chosen you and he's chosen me to still be here today. And I can genuinely say that, as can all of you I hope you're as excited as I am. If not, maybe some of my excitement will wear off on you. That would be a good thing. I'm excited about this new year. I'm excited about everything that God is going to do because I have no idea what he's going to do. Here's what I know. I know he has great plans for me. And I know he's got great plans for you. And here's the best part. I know he's got great plans for us together as the body of Christ at Berea. It's incredible to think about and to dream and to just wonder. He is going to use us in ways in this new year that we have never even dreamed of before as a church. He wants us to grow closer to him than we've ever been before. He wants us to become a closer, more loving community, closer and more loving than we could ever, ever have imagined. And we all get to be a part of it to start with, And who's God going to invite into that empty seat near you? Who's that person that's going to be invited into these great plans that he has for us? We all must play a vital role in this new year. We need you. Absolutely we do. God has placed you here on purpose for a purpose. He did not just put you here to exist or to fill a seat. That is not your role. I promise there's something so much greater. We need you to share your story. We need you to share your love with Jesus. We need you to share your gifts and your skills and your abilities and your talents with the body of Christ. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. That's how we build one another up. We need you to answer the call to serve. You've already been given an opportunity this morning of a need that exists in the service department, shall we say. God is probably going to ask us, the body of Christ, and you individually throughout this year to do some things that you just kind of step back and go, man, that's nuts. Like, that's crazy. That could never happen. Our, God, you could never use us. That, that, that's, for our community, no, that, mm, no, I don't, I don't see how that's going to work. God, I just can't see how that will work. I just can't see how that would possibly happen. Did you know that God is in the habit of doing that exact thing with his people all the time? Uh, let's go all the way back. We won't even talk about the New Testament. Let's just talk about the Old Testament. Do you think for a moment that as the Israelites, the Hebrew nation was coming out of Egypt and they saw a sea in front of them, an army behind them, they thought, you know, God, this seems like a bad idea. I don't think this is going to work out real well. This seems impossible. I don't sure what you're doing, God. You think maybe they had that thought before the waters parted? <laughs> Just a hunch. As Joshua and the the guys showed up and they saw those walls around that little city, Jericho, and they went, "Uh, you want us to do trumpet? What, God? Uh, You know, God, that doesn't really seem like a good idea. Seems like there's something better we could do here, like maybe move on to the next city. Like this just doesn't seem like a good place. Or, or, you know, that King Saul, when that little kid came in with a slingshot and said, I can take him. (sighs) You know, God... Oh, don't know about that. That seems impossible. What are you thinking, God? Or maybe my favorite, as that widow was approached by the prophet, Elijah. And Elijah said, hey, I need some food. Fix me some food. And she looked at the prophet and said, are you nuts? I could fix you food, but if I fix you food, I'm going to die. And I'm not just going to die. My son's going to die because we don't have any other food. We're about to starve to death anyway. And Elijah goes, well, here's the thing. You make me some food, and your food will never run out. You think she said, that's impossible, God. There's no way that could ever happen. You see, that's what God does. He asks us to follow. He asks us to obey, and he then says, ah, get the details. We don't even have to figure those out. That's who God's calling us to be as a church, and that makes some of you very uncomfortable. (laughs) Me too, because I'm the one in front of y'all right now, (laughs) okay? So it makes me a little uneasy as well. Just like every single one of those individuals and every single one of those stories and many, many more throughout Scripture. So today we're going to begin where we should, with Jesus in this new year. We're going to talk about our faith in this new year. Whatever your past has been, God wants to change you in this new year. If you've been a lifelong believer, I don't know if you ever thought about the blessing that that is, Okay. But if you've been a lifelong believer, you've had faith as a part of your life, your entire life, that is incredible. But how does God want to change you in this new year? Have you been doing the same things you've always been doing in that same faith your entire life? Because if you are, that's not what God wants you to do. He's calling you to do that, yes, but I guarantee he wants you to do something greater beyond that exact same thing. How does he want to challenge you to grow and serve and love and even give in this new year? These last few years have been rough. Nobody's going to deny that. We're not going to discount that or pretend that's not the case for people. Maybe God has kind of taken a bit of a back seat in your life, or maybe because of the chaos and the difficulties in life, you've kind of kicked him out the car a little bit. and said, you know, God, I've I, mm, I got to figure this out on my own. Here's the really cool thing. Even if you've done that, God still has you here today. And he's still with you today. He's still right here today in this room with you. It's time to, to take some advice from Carrie Underwood, and give Jesus the wheel back, right? And let him take over in this new year. Maybe you're just starting to explore Jesus. Man, that is awesome, trying to figure him out. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you've never really developed a close personal relationship with him, and that is awesome that you're here. Maybe you're just a part of a family that goes to church. And they either coerce you to come or even, dare I say, force you to be here. That's not all bad, by the way, (laughs) okay? Maybe you're just here, you're forced to come along. If that is you, can I just say thank you? Sounds crazy, but can I say thank you for just being here? Thank you for being here even if you don't want to be. (laughs) Because my prayer is that, that our God can use something or someone here, even this very moment today, to change your mind. And open your heart and soul to the possibility of Jesus because that's all we ask for. I know God will take care of the rest, right? It's exciting. It's exciting to be back in the book of Luke We'll review just a moment here what it was about. Luke is written from a very different perspective from the other books. He didn't have a direct communication with the other authors who were disciples and or probably interviewed specific disciples for the content of their books. In Matthew, Mark, and John, his perspective was very different. He tells us he's writing for a very specific reason. And his reason is for those that are believers to be absolutely certain of what they've been taught. Luke 1.4 his account is very specific. It's very orderly. In fact, if you didn't know, the chronological Bibles that we have today are mostly based on the chronological order found in the book of Luke. He tried as hard as he could to put things in order as best as he could find them. It's an incredible idea. If you were searching for evidence that Jesus was real, Luke is a great place to start because that's what it was all about. Luke's Gospel shares with us who Jesus came for. Chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And for anyone that looks at that and goes, oh, well, he didn't come for everyone. No, no, no. No one is righteous, not one. Therefore, he came for everyone. That was code for the people listening. Because there was a group of people listening who said, oh, well, he didn't come for me because I'm righteous. (laughs) And he's saying, no. Now, Luke 19:10, he simply said, "For the Son of Man come to seek and save the lost." Jesus came to make the sick well, He came to set the sinner free. So as we dive into the miracles of Jesus, make sure that you and I take note of who it is that He is reaching out to, who He brings the good news to who he heals, who He invites into his community of people that he's leading and training to be disciples and to be followers. Because at the end of that, we should look at ourselves and go, are we doing the same thing? Are we reaching out to the same people that Jesus would? Again, that makes some of us very uncomfortable because those aren't the people that we necessarily have reached out to or dealt with or worked with in the past, but who Jesus calls us to. If you're just joining us, I want you to know that we are in the middle of a study of the book of Luke. We'll be here till probably about August or so. Now, we're not going fully in order through everything in the book of Luke, but we will go through everything in the book of Luke. We're doing it a little differently. We started the opening by talking about Luke's account of John the Baptist and Jesus and their births. The famous birth story of Jesus comes from Luke chapter 2. Then we went on to Jesus' training, his preparation, if you will, for becoming the Messiah, Jesus, beginning teaching and preaching and all those kinds of things. Then, when we're done with that, we're going to go through, uh, right now, we're going through all the miracles. Of Jesus in order throughout his gospel, but we're going through all of the miracles. Then we'll double back and we'll go through all of the teachings. And as a part of that, I'll get to show you how some of those teachings direct, directly related to the miracles that either preceded the teaching or followed the teaching. But we don't have to cover all of it at once. We can separate it out that way. What this type of study does is it helps us all to grow deeper in our knowledge of Jesus, of who he truly was, to get to know him better. It also helps us prepare us to then go and share this same Jesus with other people. And if you're searching, if you're having trouble accepting Jesus, then our prayer is that the Spirit of God will use this content, this account of the life and the ministry of Jesus to bring you to a point of faith. All of those things are possible. Now, the cool thing is, if you're just joining us, then you can go back and, and see all those messages from the past. They're all posted online on our YouTube channel. Technology is really cool. Like that, I remember, does anybody else remember having to like put in a request to, to get a cassette tape from the pastor? If you missed last week's sermons, so or you had the rack outside and you got the cassette, yeah, some of you remember that. what did you do before cassette tapes? Did they make records? I don't know, anyway. Um, no, probably not. I don't, I don't know, what, I guess you just didn't miss church back then. Is that how it went? <laughs> you didn't miss anything? Um, it would be an honor to go back and share this with you. Please do if you're able, but here's the beautiful thing. God's word is such that you can absolutely pick up right here, right now, in this moment today. Because each week stands alone on the Word of God, as it should. All right, so here we go. The first miracle, we're in Luke chapter 7, is where we pick up today. Luke chapter 7, verse 1 is where we will start. Some of you know this account, some of you may not. It says, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he just got done teaching a group of people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master highly valued, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this. That's interesting. Because he loves our nation and has helped build our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far off from the house when the centurion sent another group, this time a group of friends, to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And to that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus then paused at hearing this. He was amazed at the man and turning to the crowd of following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, this story is incredible for many, many reasons, and we don't have time to cover them all, so we'll pick just a few. This event demonstrates the power of faith. It's an incredible faith this man has. We'll talk about that here in a moment. The actions of Jesus show the inclusiveness of the gospel. You see, Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel, right? But this isn't the only incident where he finds greater faith in someone outside of the Jewish people. So let's start with that first person, the centurion. Who was he? Well, this was a leader within the Roman army. If you didn't know, you've heard that word your whole life, that word centurion. Well, you know it's related to the word century. Obviously, you figured that out. So a century was 100 Roman soldiers, and a centurion was over 100 Roman soldiers, hence their name. The famous Roman legion that they developed for battle to take over the world, that consisted of 600 Roman soldiers. This position demanded discipline and respect, And it also got paid about 15 times more than the average Roman soldier. If you didn't know, the Roman army was filled with paid employees. Sound familiar? We don't know this Roman soldier's exact role in Galilee. We don't know exactly why he was there yet. But we do know through the text that he was at least a God-fearing man. We don't know his relationship with God, but there was something there. He feared the God of the Jews. He had a heart for the Jewish people and for their faith. So this centurion sends out a group of Jewish leaders to send this request to Jesus. Now, as I read this account, I wondered, who on earth were these Jewish leaders? Were they just respected men within the community? Those would have been called elders within that community. Were they actually leaders within the local synagogue, as many commentaries suggest? Could have been. Were this group of individuals, were they eager to go see Jesus, maybe for the very first time? <laughs> were they eager to try to go and mess with Jesus? maybe for the very first time. We don't know. Did they want to go and see how would Jesus respond? What would he do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to tell him that this man is worthy of, of Jesus doing this for him, but is he really going to help him? Because he's a Gentile, right? What's Jesus really think of this guy? He's not one of us, so how will Jesus respond to this request? It's curious. Now, The centurion's plea to Jesus, man, it's real. It's genuine. He is heartbroken. He loves this servant. He values the life of this individual an incredible amount, or he wouldn't have put himself in this kind of position. Somehow he believed that Jesus could heal him, and that leads us to the next question. How did he believe? He he thought he knew his place before Jesus. He thought he couldn't come before Jesus because he thought, like himself, he was in a position of authority. And not just anybody could approach him. He didn't quite understand that relationship with Jesus, that anyone can come to Jesus. He didn't consider himself worthy to come. But he was humble. He was humble before someone he perceived to be a person of great power and authority. He, he lays out that he knows what it's like to be that kind of position. He understands what it means to be an authority. And he understands how to make things happen just by speaking the word. He gets it. He recognizes that this this same power within Jesus, and he believes that if Jesus just speaks the words, then his servant will be healed. Now, where on earth did this man get that kind of faith? How did that happen? He, He doesn't worship Jesus. He hasn't probably ever heard Jesus speak before. It says in Luke that he had heard of Jesus. What does that even mean? It's so generic, that description. Had he heard of other miracles? that Jesus had performed. Maybe he'd seen one. Maybe he'd met someone that Jesus had specific, he, specifically healed. What I did was I would then look back and I'm like, okay, what miracles came before this? It, through all the gospels in order, what, what miracles had happened? And as I looked at it, I wondered if there, there's one specific miracle that I wonder, just wonder, if maybe this man had a direct connection with. It's found in John chapter 4, beginning of verse 43. This was the healing of the royal official's son, Now, the royal official was from the same region as this particular centurion. And a royal official and a centurion are going to hang out in similar circles because we don't fully understand who that royal official was. It's a very generic description, once again, in the book of John. This is the story where the man comes and he falls at Jesus' feet and he begs him to heal his son. And Jesus agrees to heal him simply by saying that, well, your son will be made well. And he goes home to find his son that was healed at that exact hour I wonder if that's the story, or I wonder if that's the man that somehow this centurion knew to have the faith that it required for this to happen. Remember, I always want to challenge us to be a part of the story. Obviously, that's speculation that those two knew each other. Who knows? But it's more than possible, for for sure. sure. Maybe Maybe he knew about about America firsthand. firsthand. Maybe. Maybe he just heard the stories of Jesus, and that was enough to convince him to have the faith that it took to believe that this was really actually possible. It says the servant was nearly dead, so he was on his last possible option. The man was desperate to find him relief, to find him help. Jesus listened to the man's plea, and he was amazed at him. Now, we've mentioned this before. Luke uses that word a lot, amazed. Typically, he uses it to describe the people's reaction to what Jesus is doing or saying, right? But in this case, he flips it. This time, it's to describe the faith of the centurion, the humility of the centurion, how the centurion understood the power of Jesus to perform such a sign. Imagine, just imagine this, Jesus being amazed at your faith. He didn't even know Jesus. He didn't have a Bible to read. He hadn't been saved by Jesus. And yet he had the faith it took for this miracle to take place. What about us? God, in this new year, help me to grow my faith to a point, help my faith to grow to a point where I I can amaze you with my faith in you. Yeah, he can do that for us, God. That's an incredible prayer, but wow, (laughs) wow. It says that Jesus tells the crowd that he hasn't found such great faith in Israel. A compliment to the centurion and maybe just a little bit of a critique of the Israelites, right? Right? Luke doesn't record what Jesus says to the men, but Matthew does in chapter 8, verse 13. Go, go and it will be done for you as as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that hour. Sure enough, when the messengers got home, when the friends got back home, they found the servant completely made well. Now remember, Luke's gospel is written to help us be certain of our faith. I am grateful this miracle is in here, and here's why. Because it's an incredible example of what our faith could be. Is it? Well, that's up to us and our relationship with God. Are we willing to turn everything over and just fully trust in Him no matter what? To let Him do what He knows is best. To place things fully and completely in His hands. Now, those are easy words to say. But if you're like me, they're just a little bit harder to do, right? Think about it this way. If we go back to the Carrie Underwood reference, don't all of us just kind of still want to have a hand on that wheel? Even though God knows where we're going, God, I trust you. Yeah, but I just, just you know, I just, I got I to gotta have a little say in what's happened. I just need to guide just a little. It's hard to let go and let God be God. Can we work on that together in this new year? What a way to challenge our faith in this new year, trusting God fully. That old famous proverb, chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Not we will make our paths straight. Big, big difference between the two. Now, the second miracle today is actually very, very different from the first where the centurion goes and pleads with Jesus for help. The people involved here don't even acknowledge Jesus. They, they don't even know He's come. And it is very different. He was amazed at the centurion's faith. In this case, the widow was simply mourning the loss of her son. If you listen as it unfolds, we're still in Luke 7, verse 11 now. Soon afterward, that's one of Luke's transition phases. It could have been later that day, could have been the next day, could have been the next week. We don't really know. It's just a transition on to the next event. Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. He has this following, wondering what he's going to do next. As he approached the town gate, A dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from town had gathered with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Now, that's a foolish request, isn't it? Not crying at the loss of your son? Come on, Jesus. Then he went up and he touched the bier, the table. Likely it was a widow that she had no money. There wouldn't have been a coffin. She couldn't have afforded such a thing. So she was just probably on a burial plank being carried out of the city. And the bearers stood still and Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, get up. Get up. And the dead man sat up and immediately began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country, you think? <laughs> Why would that spread? I don't have any idea. Now, that is incredible compassion that Jesus shows this woman. This funeral procession is sad, of course, but it's even more devastating than usual. Why? Well, this woman had already walked that same path to bury her husband, and now she was burying her only son. Can't imagine the devastation. Then you compound that with the reality of the world in which she lived. She was destined now for poverty with no one to take care of her. Her son was her last hope for even support. So what an incredible piece of timing Jesus has. He just happens to be walking into town as a funeral procession, just happens to be walking by. You don't think maybe he planned that, did you? No, with a big crowd of people watching, what was about? No, surely not. So he could perform the greatest sign yet. Nah, nah, he wouldn't have done that. Of course he did it on purpose. The widow doesn't see Jesus and his crowd in the distance to go running over to him to beg him for help. No, why? Because it's impossible. The crowd doesn't go over to see Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I know you can help her out because there's nothing Jesus can do. Right? It says Jesus' heart went out to her. He saw what was going on. He knew what was going on. And his heart went out to her, so he intervened. He stopped the procession. He goes to the burial plank and he touches it. Strike one. He's just now made himself unclean, being next to that dead body. That act alone expresses his compassionate concern, even if he wasn't able to heal or raise, just his willingness to do that. So stop and think about this for a moment. You've got this large crowd leaving the city mourning. You've got a devastated mother at the passing of her son, and some stranger just walks up to the dead body of your son, And out of nowhere, stops everything, touches your son, and commands him to get up. Now, if you're walking along beside us, she definitely would have been. What is your initial response? Because I think as a parent, what I probably would have want to do is punch him in the face. And say, what are you doing? It's not enough that I'm grieving, that I'm mourning, that I've lost. And now you're making fun of me? Like, you, you, what, are you, what are you doing mocking me here? This is impossible, what you're saying. There's no way that this could ever happen. Leave me alone. Get out of here and let me mourn. What you're saying was nonsense. And then her son sat up huh, and began to talk. <laughs> Would your emotions change ever so suddenly as you first think a crazy man has come to stop the funeral procession, and now all of a sudden your son is sitting up and talking to you? rest in that scene for just a a moment, how would you react if you're not a person that normally does this or thinks these are real people? This is a real moment. How would you react with your real, raw emotions and feelings? What's your response? Are you like the crowd? Did they respond like, like you would have? Hey, yes, absolutely, you're a great prophet. You see, Jesus was becoming very popular, hence, the crowd that had gathered to follow him to this small town. Now, they were just there to see the show probably at that point, to see what was next. There were a few, I'm sure, that were beginning to really believe in him. I can't imagine how blown away they were at seeing this event unfold, especially since in one of his previous teachings that this crowd likely was a part of, he was talking about Elijah, and he was talking about the miracles of Elijah that he performed, one of which happened to be the raising of a widow's son. See 1 Kings chapter 17, if you'd like to read that story. When the crowd saw this sign, they looked at Jesus, they immediately agreed, this is a great prophet like Elijah, but he's so much more. So as we enter this new year together, I want to ask, will all of you declare with me that Jesus is the most important thing that we all have in common. I talked about this last week as well. This is our theme for the whole year. This is the most important thing we have in common as the body of Christ. Will we all agree to put him first above everything else? Here's what I mean. If if, if you, like me, truly believe that God has great plans in store for us, someone wants to get in the way of that. And the best way he could get in the way is that would be cause division within this room, within this group of people. Absolutely. And how's he going to cause division? He can't cause division through Christ. That's not possible. So he's going to cause division through extra little things that have absolutely no salvific difference at all in this world. It means nothing. It's going to be a personal preference. It's going to be a style. it's going to be a this change or that thing that you personally don't like. And Satan's going to say, "Hey, that's perfect. Go away. Rather than making Jesus the main thing, the only thing that even matters is Jesus. Everything else is peripheral. We can agree, we can disagree. It doesn't matter do we agree on Jesus and who He is and where He wants us to be as the body of Christ, loving and caring for this community and for one another and reaching out in any way we possibly can. Will we agree to put Him above all else and pursue His will in our lives and for this church? Because if we will... Yes, the gates of hell can't stand against us. Absolute truth. Just like the crowd that was gathered there today, that day. They agreed he was a great prophet, but they didn't take it much further than that. We have to decide, who is he? Who is he? Was he just an ancient prophet? Have we watered it down to like today? Well, he's a great friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. A good old song for sure. But if he's just your friend, you don't get it. <laughs> because he's your king and he's your Lord. As well. There's so much more. The friendship is great, it's essential, but He's so much more than just that. Is He your Savior? Amen. Is He your Lord? He alone, does He alone rule your life and guide your path? Have you fully given your life over to Him? In the next few moments, as we partake of communion and we have that invitation time that, that just extends throughout the whole service, really. Uh, will you join me in praying first for, for our relationship with Christ to grow and for him to push us in the direction he wants and for me to be willing to respond to that and for you to be willing to respond to that spirit in the movement. But then on a secondary level, will you pray for that unity that will be essential for us to do the things that God needs us to do in this place? That is the only thing that can stop us. I hope you understand that is if we lose that unity in Christ, that's got to be number one for all of us. And it's incredible to experience. And I can't wait to experience it with you. God's got great plans. Great plans for us. But when we start working on those great plans, Satan's got some great interference to throw in the way. And we just kind of got to ignore it and keep going. Father God, as we come before you today, Father, praying... For that incredible faith of the centurion, a man that didn't know Jesus, probably couldn't have even said what he looked like, probably never met him before, but had only heard of him, yet yet he was willing to entrust his last hope on this earth for his servant into your hands. How, how does he have that faith, Father? Can we have that faith too? Yes. As a matter of fact, we can have more than that faith because we have your spirit within us to rely upon for that faith. We just must make the decision to fully commit and allow him to rule our lives and to follow him. And Father, whatever comes our way in this new year, Father, will we as the body of Christ, will we remain united in you in your path and your direction for our personal lives? Father, as you guide and direct us outside of this place, and Father, together as the body of Christ, meeting in this place and then being sent out into our community, will we stay united with Jesus as the main thing? No matter what crazy idea you give us or crazy plan that you form for us, may we look at that and say, well, does it honor Jesus? Could this potentially save lost souls? Could it help people in need? Oh, well then, we should be doing it. Why are we not? Who wants in? Father, we help us to step up and do that, to put all those extra things aside, all of our personal preferences, all of our our ideas of what we think things should be and just turn them over to you and let's agree upon Jesus. If there's anybody here this morning struggling as this new year begins, will they please, please come forward. Allow us to pray with them as they enter this new year, not alone, but Father, with you and with us alongside to love them this whole way. Father, we love you since in Jesus' name we pray.